I can't remember if we've ever recorded this podcast in the state of California. D3Football.com around the nation. On the road live from California, a mere six-ish hours drive away from the Super Bowl. That is true. It is Super Bowl weekend as we're recording this. Uh, Greg has graciously allowed us the use of his living room. I'm in Southern California, ostensibly on vacation, but was able to uh, steal away to do a little bit of this. So that's good. It, it is. There's never really vacation from D3Football.com. It's a, it's a 12-month cycle. It, it's a bigger room than I'm accustomed to working, that's for sure. I would say that Division Three deserves a bigger room. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your podcast about the largest division of college football weekly during the season, semi-mostly monthly during the offseason. We welcome you to season 17 of this podcast, season 17, episode one, podcast number 327, the first podcast of this calendar year. And I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who is sitting in Greg's living room in Claremont, California, recording a podcast. Glad to be recording a podcast in California. I'm Greg Thomas. I am the Around the Nation columnist. And Pat, I think it's safe to say this this week, I'm the host, literally, of Around the Nation. It's you, great, great to have you here. You are literally the host. And I, uh, I greatly appreciate that. This is getting kind of expensive, though. We've recorded the last three podcasts in person. I don't know that this is something we can maintain. But then again, if Wabash makes the final four once again in men's basketball and you make another trip to Indiana, I suppose that's not off the table. Not off the table. If Wabash goes to Fort Wayne, I will go back to Fort Wayne. Uh, that is a pricey trip on, on short notice, but well worth it, uh, the experience of the final four last year. Uh, is this year the extra day between uh, championships? That's right. This is the year that we start having an extra day between our Thursday men's basketball semifinals and our Saturday men's basketball championship game and the same in women's basketball as well. That'll be interesting. I mean, heck, not to get too far ahead about the things that we're going to talk about here in the course of this podcast, but one of the things that might be an outcome of what was talked about in this roundtable discussion, which we'll have coming up for you in a few minutes, is if we extend the Division Three football season in order to expand the playoffs, then do we not play, I assume, the Stag Bowl between Christmas and New Year's, which is more or less where it would often fall, and then we hold it all the way until the first week of January, like FCS does? That would be something worth discussing then you'd have like a whole extra three weeks off or so between semifinals and final that's a lot of time off for the players i think between games i know division one or division three basketball has done this as they have um sort of synced up their final four or championship game with the division one final four for certain events and certain milestone years that yeah. kind of thing and the women's basketball will be doing that again this year down in dallas so i i would be Curious to you get feedback from from those schools about what that experience is to sort of press pause for two or three weeks before picking back up to play a championship game. 
during Christmas week itself. I think that's challenging travel wise for uh, fans and families. Do you wait until after the first where maybe the travel's a little bit easier, but then you have this longer layover. So you have decisions to make for institutions for sure. So we'll be talking about those issues coming up in a little bit in a roundtable that includes the former co-chair of the Division Three Management Council, two former Division Three football committee chairs, and a handful of Division Three football coaches. We'll be talking about that coming up in a few minutes. It's been, you know, now almost two months since we last recorded a podcast, but I think people are generally going to be up to date on most of the coaching changes. There's one big one that happened relatively recently that I want to talk about because it's kind of a big thing in Division Three football when a Purple Power, and I think we still call Whitewater a Purple Power right now whenever they change hands in a head coach. Jace Rindle, been promoted, is now the head coach at UW-Whitewater. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, who are the people who would be considered. And in the end, they only named three finalists. It seemed like Jeff Thorne was heavily in consideration. Jeff Thorne, the former head coach of North Central, the 2019 Division III football championship head coach, but pulled his name out of the running. It left them with just three finalists. Three finalists, all with ties to the Whitewater program, ties to championship years at Wisconsin Whitewater. So um, certainly they've got a rich pool of uh, coaching talent that has come up through their program and learned from uh, Lance Leipold and Kevin Bullis and uh, before that, Bob Rezowitz. They've sort of been so good so long that they now have kind of the same Mount Union-like family tree of coaches that they can pull from. And there's a lot of things that are attractive about having that program continuity as you transition from coach to coach. Jace Rindle, a former player. Rob Erickson, who was a former coordinator in the WIAC, and including a former assistant coach at Whitewater, uh, had been an assistant coach at University of South Dakota. They won the Division I FCS championship back in January. He was immediately snapped up and is now will be the head coach at UW-Eau Claire. So uh, he did not get that job, but he is still... In the Wyack. And then Marcus McLinn, I mean, guy who's a D3Football.com All-America cornerback for Whitewater, not all that long ago, to be honest with you, had one year as a college coordinator, uh, would have been maybe a bit of a stretch to take this job. But so for, for Jeff Thorne, I mean, I have not spoken to him. I have not asked him this question, but right before the finalists were announced, he announced on his uh, on his Twitter feed that he was taking a sales job that was related to football. My look at that is like, this is a guy whose son is a senior playing at Michigan State and, you know, has other family considerations at home. It's a, it seems like a perfectly reasonable way to push pause on the coaching career for a year and kind of re, you know, take that up after, uh, after kids graduate and that sort of thing but would have been very interested to see, you know, Whitewater seems very interested, as you said, for probably very good reason in hiring a Whitewater person. Jeff Thorne, not a Whitewater guy, obviously, but a guy with a great Division Three coaching pedigree. That would have been a very difficult decision to make, I'm sure. It really would have been. I think if Jeff Thorne's last game in Division Three was the uh, Stag Bowl that they lost to UMHB, 
but that was the second consecutive trip to the Stag Bowl for North Central. It sort of elevated North Central into, and maybe to be the top program in the division as he exited and went off to Division One to Western Michigan. What is left in Division Three for Jeff Thorne to do? So maybe, you know, maybe Whitewater wasn't the best fit for him taking a year to, you know, do family things, maybe recircle uh, his focus toward other uh, Division One opportunities in the next year, probably things that factored, factored into his withdrawing from consideration. One other key coaching change happening all around Stag Bowl time. Jeff Behrman taking the job at John Carroll was the head coach at Union College. And, you know, like a lot of coaches in Division Three, this is a chance for him to go back to his alma mater as well. It is, and he's, it's a really strong hire, I think, for John Carroll. He did uh, really great work sort of resurrecting Union's program from, I think Union was maybe an 0-10 when he got there, and then turned them into a team that won the Liberty League and went to the playoffs. So a homecoming for Jeff Berman and... Uh, John Carroll seems to have they've had some coaching instability there since Tom Arth went off after the 2016 season and uh, maybe maybe they found some stability here with with coach Berman yeah I have to give some kudos to Drew Nystrom he was the guy who was was the offensive line coach at John Carroll and then took over on an interim basis last year and you know the rest of the coaches in the OAC thought enough of him to name him co-coach of the year in the OAC so I'm sure that's another spot where it was difficult to make that decision. We have the person who made that decision coming up in our roundtable, but that was not one of the things that uh, came up. So this episode, this roundtable is about the whole kind of tightening of the Division Three football playoffs, the lack of at-large bids. And in preparation for this conversation, we sent a survey out to um, almost all of the 230 Division Three football coaches. You know what I said, 230, not 240, because we did not send a survey about the Division Three football playoffs to the NESCAC coaches. Um, I assume that people who are listening to a February podcast rather than a mid-September podcast don't need me to explain why that is. We also didn't send it to about a dozen schools where you know either the coaching job was open or there was a new head coach who was brand new to Division Three, but we did send it to 218 and 98 responded. We basically asked these guys just one question. Of some basic ways to alleviate the crunch of at-large bids, which would you prefer? And there were about seven answers that we put in as options as well as the opportunity to choose an other and give some ideas there kind of clumping these responses into a few kind of basic buckets uh one of which was to add a week to the playoffs and expand the playoffs to 36 or more teams basically meaning that we would in any given year add four at-large bids somehow add a week to the season. That was very popular among coaches, as you might expect. 48% were in favor of one of the scenarios that I provided that expanded it to an extra week. There were a couple of options about raising the standard for an automatic bid and remaining at 32 teams. There was a combination of whether we go from six teams to seven teams required for an automatic bid or six to eight. That garnered 14% of the 
opinions. And then doing both, raising the standard and adding a week, was 18%. 9% chose other and gave some ideas there. 9% said no change was needed. I don't know who those people are, but that would be a very interesting playoff scenario indeed. We're going to talk to our panel coming up in just a moment. But before we do that, I would just like to take one moment here to thank some people who have done a great amount of work in supporting D3Sports.com, supporting the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. And that is our supporters on Patreon. Patreon is a service by which you can choose to support Generally, it is people who create content or people who create art. This is not art. This is content. They could do so by pledging anywhere from like $3 a month up to even $50 a month to help support what we do, keep D3Sports.com operating, give us the opportunity to do things not only during the football season, but also during the basketball season, also during the baseball season to help enhance our coverage of Division Three sports on those platforms. That's right, our Patreon supporters help fund all of the work that we do during the regular season with our Saturday coverage, our columns during the week, our when, we, when we're able to get on site to games, that is uh, supported by Patreon as well. And of course, Patreon supports all of the D3Sports.com sites, including right now D3 Hoops. It's bubble season at D3 Hoops, and so the content is coming fast and furious. Really, Wednesdays, Saturdays, really big days for Division Three basketball. A lot of things, a lot of moving parts at this time of season. It's really interesting to follow uh, the work that Dave McHugh and Gordon Mann and Ryan Scott do at D3Hoops.com. Also supported by all of you Patreon subscribers. It's really interesting right now. It's 2.50 in the afternoon out here, which means in my brain I know that like three quarters of the day in Division Three men's basketball is basically over in the next 10 minutes. Like there are not a ton of Saturday evening games. There's a bunch of games at two o'clock, three o'clock and four o'clock. And those games are almost over. This is the life you live out here. It really is. Things finish when the sun is still up out here. It's pretty great. We appreciate the support from people on the Patreon platform. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash d3sports, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash d3sports. Or if your favorite style of support is more of a one-time donation, you can go to d3sports.com slash help. Now with the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast, we are joined by a veritable plethora of people in a place of Division Three authority. And we are joined by... Two former chairs of the NCAA Division Three Football Committee, Brad Bankston, who's the commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference, and Jim Catanzaro, who's the head coach at Lake Forest College. We are joined by Michelle Morgan, who, you know, just spent, oh, just spent a couple of years as the chair of the Division Three Management Council. Getting her in her last moments in Division Three, we want to drain all the D3 knowledge from you before you head off to your D1 hockey commissioner job. And then we are joined by a pair of uh, two more Division Three head coaches, Jeremy Urban from Trinity University in San Antonio, Texas, and Sherm Wood from Salisbury University in Salisbury, Maryland. And I just want to say that part of the reason that we feel like we can have this conversation is that a year ago, Brad, you said on Hoopsville, on Dave McHugh's show, uh, which we also ran on this podcast, you just dropped this little bon mot, this little bomb to the room that said we could expand the Division Three football playoff field, which is something that, you know, I think most people 
understood was a non-starter that we were landlocked at 32 teams for forever. So tell us a little bit about how that might happen. If you have any more thoughts on that over the past year, people you've talked to, people you've heard from, et cetera. No, Pat, thank you for, uh, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. I didn't intend on that being a bomb. Uh, I think if I recall correctly, we were talking about the constitution and some of the changes that were going on at the NCAA at the same time. And I felt like it was a window for division three to kind of examine itself. And part of that discussion since the constitution's uh, adoption at the convention a year ago uh, has been a lot of introspection from the division, right? Are we doing things the right way? We've been working on a project within the commissioners association to look at access to all championships in a manner in which you have equal access to at large, regardless of the sport. So as you know, and others that are out there are well-versed, probably better versed at it than I am, you know, depending upon how many AQs you have and what the sponsorship is of that sport, it dictates the size of the bracket. What we wanted to do is take a look at what happens if we just applied the same ratio to the teams that are left over for at large. And as a result, we saw, you know, what we felt to be an equitable model and, and glaringly in front of us was football. And then the idea that football stuck at 32. And as I said a year ago, not that I had any foreshadowing in any of this, it's, you know, we really need to take a serious look at football. And I've had conversations with the governance staff as well, not in a position of leadership anymore, but just saying, look, I think it's important for us to make sure that football student athletes are given the same opportunity is every other student in Division Three, And the five-week cap on the championship, which we all know kind of butts up against what we would say the holiday season or when teams are gone, uh, you know, that's, a, that's a vital part of this. And how do we manage it? And most importantly, how do we engage the, the governance staff and the championship staff and the football committee to have an open dialogue about what that might look like? Because just to say we can't do it, in my opinion, is a really bad answer. And I think we've accepted that for a long time. I'm not saying anybody's guilty at the Division Three level at the governance structure, and Michelle can add to this as well. We just haven't talked about it. And, um, and I think it's time to talk about it. And hopefully football, if nothing else, football is addressed, but that we have a chance to look at this globally with all the sports. And, and there is an access issue in some sports for sure. I want to call on Michelle for this uh, at the next moment here because, you know, there have been for almost as long as there has been an NCAA Division Three, it has been about all of the sports being treated as equitably as possible. And the thought of breaking football out of a mold to do something slightly different with its championship has generally been a non-starter. But I want to hear your take on that and what Brad's been talking about. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Pat. Um I can tell you most recently rolling off all the governance committees and specifically the championships committee, this exact conversation hasn't yet taken place in the formal setting as Brad alluded to. There's been, you know, sidebar conversations and in the football world, it's been very popular about how might we brainstorm around this or what does it look like cognizant of the fact of all of the other sports that we're trying to serve and making it equitable across all of our championships. I think from a championships committee side, you know, most recently when we look holistically, you know, we're looking at things about experience. We're looking at, you know, uh, increasing uh, per diems, looking at um, providing more um, for host institutions and, and travel. 
um, when we talk about ground transportation. So all of those things affect all of our championships, but not specifically to football that I think that um, we've talked a lot about access ratios over the years and what does that look like? And every year when it comes down to draw up this bracket and what it looks like, lo and behold, we're back at this conversation again. And um, I think it's just, we're probably at a time where we can be more thoughtful about what does that conversation look like and how do we really put it in front of the appropriate bodies with some of the research that many of our colleagues across division three have looked at and crunched the numbers to say, how might this work? Um, and what is the bottom line impact in a lot of different ways and in, in, in looking at a different bracket size? Thanks. I want to bring in, first off, uh, Jim Catanzaro, who serves, of course, both the role as a uh, head coach and as a former chair of the committee. But then also, I think we have here Coach Urban, who represents, if nothing else, one of our island institutions in Division Three. you know, a one of the schools either in Texas or on the West Coast in football that always get matched up against each other. And then I, um, I thought Coach Wood would be good here also because of you know, representing an institution where he's been for a long time but has played in a number of different conferences that have, I would say they've always had an automatic bid more or less over the course of the past 20 years or so. But, you know, the New Jersey Athletic Conference sometimes might be on the cusp of an automatic bid depending on how we might advocate for those rules to be changed. But, uh, Jim, I wanted to start with you and get uh, any other thoughts from you along this line before we dive into some of the things that our coaches said in our survey that we put out last month. Yeah, I think that the one thing that both Brad and Michelle brought up is this conversation has been had very informally in a lot of different levels of the NCAA, uh, but also at the American Football Coaches Association on their, their governance side. And so I think that it's something that the coaches and the players have had a hunger for for a while without necessarily having people in the areas necessary to, to change it. It would require legislative changes as of right now um, because it is a bylaw. And so that would take, you know, the two conferences or multiple institutions to, to kind of support that. And we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I think that the loss of additional automatic qualifiers through the last couple of years is definitely um, spurring these conversations at a more expedited rate. And I think that the one concern that the coaches have is that I've heard over and over again, and I have the same way is that, Oftentimes in legislation, football is treated differently than the other sports. And whether it was with the playoffs or with the non-traditional season, I know that Michelle and I, I think, might have spoke back-to-back on the convention floor um, when we tried to get pads added to, to spring practices. And oftentimes you hear the response of, why are we always talking about football? And, and the reality is because football has been sanctioned out from other sports um, in so many areas that we're, we're not really playing by the, the same, same rules. Um, you saw this happen again this year as the non-traditional seasons were expanded for other sports, but football was, you know, singularly um, eliminated from that conversation. And so I think that that's where the, you know, the biggest concern amongst the coaches is, is how do we either get ourselves in total alignment with the other sports and not sanctioned out, or we find a way to address these, uh, you know, bylaws that are maybe working against football at this time. Coach, I just want to say one of the things that I tell people when I hear the same things about, you know, why are we always talking about football at the convention? I think it's because football doesn't get its needs addressed at the convention. Is that is that fair? I would say it's a lot more difficult. There there seems to be a lot more uh, adversity in trying to pass football legislation than maybe some of the other stuff because it is sports specific. And, and I think that that's what almost gives it a kind of negative is that 
it, it keeps being asked for similar things or time with athletes that are same as the other sports. And when we're as coaches, we kind of feel, and I think our players do as well, that when we're not receiving the same time and access to each other in season, out of season, whatever it might be, that it, it's just a constant battle uphill for things. I actually heard at the convention where we did pass the spring, well, at least they got something that'll leave us alone for a while. And uh, I thought that that was a very interesting take on the whole legislative process. If it wasn't actually meeting the needs of what was wanted, um, which it was not, it was what was acceptable to multiple sets of parties. I think that's where it really kind of triggers that almost, I hate to say the us against them because I don't want that to be the case, but it feels like football is in that isolated area of just trying to ask for things that are not, um, even though we see it as equal, it's not seen as equal by others who are making decisions. Hey, Jim, great points, and, and I hear you in a lot of that. The only thing I'd add some additional color to this is the sport of football probably has the most research and data around a lot of our decisions that have led up until this point. When we talk about Sports Science Institute and our partnership with the NFL and looking at concussions and head impact and um, acclimatization and and all of those decisions as we as governance structures or or institutions that vote on these things obviously you as coaches are our frontline experts and the day-to-day on the field and 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 administrators need to look to you in a lot of things but we're also looking for information related to data and so i think some of how we got here not to say that it's perfect and right has also led to some of the data that in the studies up until this point that football has far more compared to some of our other sports to help us make some of those more um, informed decisions when we look at um, periods of time and how much time athletes need to acclimate to get going in the season. I don't disagree having sat on that Sports Science Institute. I guess the, the greatest concern I've always had is that the data is so Division One slanted, and I don't believe that Division Three operates the same as division one really in any aspect um in terms of football or things like that and i think that that's i wish we had more of our division three schools uh contributing their data because i think there would be a a significant difference in what's going on in the the division three versus the division one realm at this time we had this survey that we put out to the football coaches uh 98 out of the 230 or so that we sent to responded and a good amount of it was centered around adding a week to the playoffs uh, in order to allow for that six week, in order to allow for more at-large bids than the current four next year, who knows how many in the future. And I want to talk to Coach Urban, and I want to talk to Coach Wood about this specifically. You know, your take around, you know, adding a week to the season, you, uh, is it around removing the bye week? Is it about going later with a later playoff, a playoff that ends later in the season? Is it about starting early, which I know, uh, you know, a lot of uh, administrators would not be in favor of because of the cost involved. But uh, Coach Urban, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm th- thanks for thinking to me, I'm Pat, for being on this. I, I like the direction that Jim and Michelle were going while ago on some of this. That's for another discussion. Um, you know, if we're talking about expansion, I, I I would add one at the end and I wouldn't remove a bye week. I mean, I, I can talk all day long and enjoy those conversations on player health um, adaptation periods. You know, we can make a lot of arguments that the NFL is going more of the current D3 way as the players union keeps pulling back and you're seeing an explosion of injuries. 
Um, I think it'd be a really hard thing to go earlier um, for the monetary side, but you know, you have the least amount of impact by adding it at the end. You see in terms of dollars, right? You know, you take one more week, that's two teams. Um, the, the incremental add from the monetary side is pretty minimal compared to the entirety of D3 coming in a week earlier and paying for a whole extra week of preseason and stuff. Um, so if we're just talking sheer volume, I see it adding at the end. But I think your bye weeks are are extremely important. I think that some of our data on injury of bye weeks um, isn't necessarily around the guys who are playing. It's, hmm. you know, you amp it up on the guys who maybe aren't playing, and that's kind of where some of your your injury numbers. So I know that people have argued, hey, it's it's safer to keep playing than, you know, you see more of your injuries on the bye week. Um, you know, I think that some of that is from guys getting opportunities to practice or coaches maybe practicing in a manner because that's been an argument, right? Hey, take out the bye week, add that week in there. Data says that you don't get hurt um, in a week of practice compared to the bye week. But I would add it on at the end. Um, obviously, the Division One world has no problem playing bowl games um, over the holiday break. I think that could be a really cool deal of maybe growing D3 football um, if it's at a time where a lot more eyes are out there. And um, I, I'd be more in favor of that if we're talking about adding a team, adding a round. I want to ask Brad about that in a minute, but I want to hear from Coach Wood first about, again, where do you put an extra week if that's something that we're in favor of? Well, I, I really uh, I, I agree with uh, Jeremy here. And uh, I'm, I'm going to just say this to you guys. First of all, I, I really appreciate Brad and Michelle being on to really give us a pretty good perspective of, you know, from an administrative standpoint and, and the sciences and so forth. I think it's extremely helpful because I believe – Every time we receive the information that uh, that has been posted in reference to injury prevention and uh, the number of days and contact and so forth, I think the coaches associates have done an unbelievable job as making sure that we monitor those things and make keep our kids safe. Uh, with, there's no renegades around here. We've done everything we can. And I think we did it enough where we was able to now have spring football with equipment. So. I think that's something that says something about what the coaches are doing. But I I work closely with our student athlete advisory committee. And I just I just wanted any information that I provide is simply for the well-being of the students and the students' overall postseason experience. And I can tell you right now that our kids are in favor of having an extra week. Uh, we are in favor of increasing at largest because the number of years I've been involved with this thing, I've seen the, the times and the changes and the ups and downs. And I can tell you right now, with the additional AQs that's coming on board, I can tell you that teams like UW Lacrosse, Wheaton, Bethel, Harden Simmons, Trinity, anyone, a couple of those teams may not even get into the playoffs with nine and one, 10 and 0 records. We need another week. We need more at-larges. As a matter of fact, I believe we should have the those those uh, those regions, the number one teams in the regions, whereas, whether it's Mount Union or you had the North Central region or so forth, I believe those teams, for the college experience, for the student experience, they should be, they should have a buy. Now, we should have teams that compete in the first round that can give the students an overall experience. We're going to start getting into mental health a little later. And I can tell you right now that anytime certain students see that on the board that they're playing against one of those top teams, they don't want to practice the week. 
Yeah, you know, they don't want to practice weak. But however, when you get to the point where you know that you're going to be competing in the first round, I think that's something that that's that's uh, that's real important for the kids for the kids' well being. Coach, can you um, go into a little more detail around what you were just saying around kids not wanting to compete? I thought maybe I wasn't understanding that correctly. What I'm saying is I'm being I'm being real with the whole process. Everyone is excited to get into the postseason, no doubt about it. But I just don't know. Whenever you have kids, uh, I'm not going to give out any schools or anything of that nature. But I've I've heard through the grapevine whenever a certain school is popped up. Uh, that has, you know, this number one in the nation and the team that's rated 32 that's going up against that team in the first round. There's a sense of excitement, but from a competitive standpoint, not sure if that's a fair process. That's why I always believe that having buys, the first top, the top teams have a buy. I think that would help the whole process because we got to add, I think we should add at largest, no question about it. Thanks, Coach. I can't see Jim because Jim is joining us by phone rather than by camera and laptop and computer. But I can only imagine that, uh, Coach, you probably have some thoughts about that as well. Not that your team has necessarily been at any point the 32nd best team in the field, but you have been paired up against uh, some of those number one teams quite a bit. Uh, Can I get your thoughts on that? Yeah, number one seed, I think, uh, two years in a row. But I think that the it's not so much that our guys dread playing those games. My biggest concern is having been in the room where the the brackets are made, the number of times that those future games, future seedings based on previous experiences. So our game against, you know, St. John's and against North Central these last two years, if we go 10 and 0 next year, the playoff success will figure into our placement who we're going to play both geographically and from a we they can we can say that this tournament is not seated, but it is regionally seated um, quite a bit. And it, and I've I've been in the room, and I'll, I'll be the guy that pulls the curtain back. It obviously is, and I think that that's one of the things that's the most concerning is if you have a team that is geographically in a position where they end up playing you know top seeds year in year out. Yes, they might be first round exits, but they're going to be playing a top team every year, and so it's a, a little bit of a different perspective than when you have maybe none of the top four seeds in the tournament in the geographic region uh, continuing to advance into the second or third round. But we still want to play anybody. I want to be. I totally understood. Jim, I also want to ask you about the injuries uh, conversation that we've been talking about a little bit, because you are one of the people who's come to me and said that, um, you know, injuries are in fact more common on the bye week or coming off the bye week. I wanted to kind of get your reaction to what coach urban said a little bit ago about Maybe that's true mathematically, but maybe it's not necessarily your prime guys. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think the the two biggest things with the uh, bye week that we've found is that it is a week where there's additional contact practices. So when it is said that there are more injuries during practice during that week, by virtue of there not being a game, you'll often find a third or maybe a scrimmage with your young guys that are getting a chance to play each other to prove themselves for game time. So you're having more um, practice reps. And so one of the things that we've asked the Sports Science Institute to do, they said they were not able to do this, was instead of making it weeks, make it by practice. What were the injury rates per practice, not per week? Um, They were able to break it down by days, and there were some interesting statistics regarding football injuries on Thursdays during bye weeks versus during any other week because teams aren't practicing heavy contact during their practice weeks on that day. 
but during the bye week they are. And so you were seeing a spike in, in that. Well, the reason was there was no game on Saturday and they were maybe giving their kids the weekend off and decided to give themselves a, a scrimmage for those guys. So there's just some there's some stuff there. I'd like to bye week from a mental health perspective for the athletes. Um, it usually times up with about the midpoint of their season if you count the preseason camp. Um, but from a physical standpoint, I understand where the data comes from. I just think it's kind of a wonky data similar to when they eliminated two a days and they found out the next year there were more concussions than the, the single practices. So I think there's there's stuff we can learn from the data, but we need to make sure that it is, it is accurate data. I want to ask Brad about uh, hosting the Stag Bowl later, and then I want to re-engage our administrators on the next topic of conversation, which will be around what's the appropriate size for an automatic bid in football. But Brad, uh, as a key member of a key host of the stag bowl for many of the uh, many the majority still i think of all stag bowls uh do you think it would make more sense to be between the holidays or after new year's the way that the fcs championship game is well i i think it depends on where you what what you favor pat you know and obviously for me i think the opportunity for our student athletes in football to have uh, an even go at it. Uh, and I guess in, if we use the 6.5 you know, ratio and we didn't change anything, you're talking about 35 or 36 bids to get into football and we're capped at 32. And we have to have an, an additional week. I, I'd say hosting it, it's it's six of one. You know, I mean, I think the continuity of it, have it as a part of the, the championship from one week to the next is a good thing. At the same time, maybe having it in between those dates, uh, in between, you know, the 25th of December timeframe and January 1st, or even after that might lend itself to having more people come and attend based upon, you know, breaks around the holidays that people traditionally take. Uh, so I don't think the burden of hosting the game is there as much as it is what's right for the student athlete. And, and I think the same thing, I think Jeremy's probably has this in the back of his mind too. You know, you talk about institutions that are distant. So it's important for us to think about access and, and expanding access. It's also important to think about as much within reason that we can seating. And, and how do you seed? How do you fairly seed in a manner that doesn't restrict an institution like Jeremy's to have to play someone of the caliber of a Harden Simmons and a, and a Mary Harden Baylor in the first round because they might be able to drive there instead of fly. And I don't think you can fly everybody all over the country. You certainly can't do it in football. And what's that reasonable balance it's going to be vitally important that the structure itself, and this would involve Michelle's crew on management council and championships committee as she's rolling off to really embrace and get, get their hands dirty in this and figure out, okay, how can we do this? Because there is, there, there is more money coming to us as a division with the new broadcast agreement. And I think there's there, the resources there. The question is, how are we going to allocate those resources? And Michelle certainly lended a, a little bit of thought to that with, with raising per diem, which I think we all agree probably doesn't cover the expenses now, especially with inflation. You know, how do we balance all of these different things and what's more important? That's going to it's going to be a struggle. But at, listen, it hosting the Stag Bowl, if we were ever hosted after next year, and I'm not sure we ever will again, we would embrace it whatever week it is to have the national championship uh, played played in Salem or wherever we else we were playing it if it was a little bit later in the uh, in the calendar year. We floated a couple of ideas out to the general population whether an automatic bid should for football should be six teams like it is for 
all sports currently as a result of the legislation that went into effect at the last convention a year ago, or whether we should return to seven or whether we should even elevate it to eight. I know a number of conferences would tell you that whatever we do, an even number of members in conferences is ideal because it makes it easier for scheduling. But I want to hear from Michelle first because, you know, the thought of first off, breaking out again football to have a different standard for automatic qualification. Is there appetite for that? I know you said there haven't really been formal conversations around these sorts of things, but what are what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, um, there really hasn't been formal conversations. Brad alluded to, you know, a, a larger piece of the pie financially and looking at, you know, how might we be able to equitably across all of our championships and all of our sports in Division Three ensure that that student athlete experience and that um, institutional autonomy, should they choose to travel more beyond their travel party? You know, right now it's been, if a institution flies um, to a site, then they're, they were footing their own bill for ground transportation once they got there, right? So looking at changes that would then um, cover that. So not to put an institution out or, or penalize them per se, um, if by traveling farther. Um, you know, I think that when we holistically, when the championships committee, and, and I speak now as, as a lay person, not on that committee anymore, <laughs> right. um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we try to, you try to tr try to paint with broad brushstrokes, right? You know, we have the largest, in, the largest division in the NCA. We're also arguably probably the most diverse. Um, and there's a lot of differences in the sports that we, that we hold championships for, right? Um, obviously, the coaches and administrators, if you were a student athlete in a particular sport and what your affinity might be to, you might pay particular attention to, or if you're an institution that your, your sport is successful and tends to go far in a postseason in one or the other. You know, the sport of football tends to, to be the front porch of a lot of our institutions and, and the long lineage and tradition and history that there is a lot of attention here. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the exact number is, and I think that's obviously why we're having this conversation. I do know, um, you know, wearing my administrator hat and coming from a really competitive football conference in the Ohio Athletic Conference, right, every year when that bracket comes out, I know I got to get through Mount Union, otherwise we're going to have a hell of a time trying to get in. And that's really frustrating because I see the caliber of talent that comes out of our conference, like many conferences, right? That's not just true to Ohio. And so I think that, um, you know, there's got to be a way and what it looks like. But to Brad's point, it's like, how do we roll our, our sleeves up and, and start, you know, playing around with things and, and modeling some ideas so that the powers that be can really dissect and discuss. And if that doesn't work right, then we go back and retool a little bit and that's okay. And I think we're at the point now where it's really, it's going to come to that point to say, what are some options? What do they look like? Let's poke some holes in some things. You know, we always talk about adding more, you know, and I'm not suggesting that in, in a small bracket like this, but in some of our other brackets, you know, do we have too many? Um, and what does that access? Because because the bigger the brackets, the more cost there is to, to support, right? And so... I think that that's really a two-way discussion point, maybe not for football, but as we look at this holistically, you know, it, it's not always about adding, but once you have it, it's hard to take away too. And what might that look like? Michelle, I just want to touch uh, more closely on a point that you kind of alluded to, right? The OAC now, it has been several years since the OAC has had an at-large bid in football, which would have been unthinkable 
I don't know, even 10 years ago. But the OIC, I think, is definitely one of those uh, conferences that has lost championship access because of the tightening of the at-large pool. We, we, we've lived it. We, so I can tell you, absolutely, Pat, it's not fun. So, so the answer, though, the answer is modeling, basically. We go back through the entire championship selection process for like 2019, something like that. And say if the automatic bid had been eight, now all of a sudden these conferences don't have automatic bids. You've got seven pool C teams, or excuse me, you've got seven pool B teams to consider out of nine conferences. Two more at-large bids get added. That's the sort of things that hopefully someone already is doing somewhere and it wouldn't just be us. Brad, your thoughts on that? Pat, I don't think anybody's really had this discussion about changing the number. Of course, we just did it legislatively, right, from, from seven to six. I think there's speculation that maybe we should look at this by sport and determine what the right number should be based on membership. You know, maybe if the membership number of sponsored a sport is X, then maybe the AQ number should be Y, right? I, I don't I don't know what that looks like, but I, I would say during my time, Michelle may lean in on this. I did not hear any conversations about not being broad, bra- broad brush approach when it came to the number of uh, of teams it required to get an, an automatic bid, and again, why does that? Why are we having that discussion? We're having that discussion here for football because football is not even allowed, based upon the legislation, and we've all lived with it for a long time, to have the actual number of at-large bursts that the that the bracketing calls for, which is you know one for every six point five participants. So I, I think I'd like to see us get there before we talked about changes in numbers regarding the, the number of uh, schools that requires to have an AQ in football or any other sport, but that, that's just me. We can relieve the crunch in at-large bids by either making the pool bigger, making the entire bracket bigger, or by changing the number of automatic bids, right? Jeremy, I want to hear from you as a, our representative of the islands. There's been a couple of uh, times where you've been directly not even alluded to, just basically pointed at and said, you guys have not had, and your institution and your football program have maybe not had the same playoff experience as everybody else. And first off, just want to hear your thoughts about that. And if you have any thoughts about how to do that differently. No, I think that it's, you know, nothing's going to get changed without the discussions first. And I think that having Brad and Michelle's expertise, um, Jim's expertise, obviously Sherm's been around much longer than I have, um throughout you know again they they have tremendous um, wisdom on this and i'm I'm along for the ride and learning it as we go but you know to to say that our playoff experience is different than others yeah that's probably true but at the end of the day um you know we we played tremendous division three football games um and you know those have been exciting and from a campus standpoint um you know both when we went on the road and when we were here um, would we want different seating, you know, similar to a basketball tournament? Sure. But, um, you know, you got to kind of, you know, adopt the mentality of you play who's on your schedule and, and you get after it. And, you know, that's just kind of the, the, um, cards we've been dealt, but it's not just Trinity. It's, it's across the board and you're right. It's usually your Western, um, half of the U S, um, I think that there are some answers um, that we can come with, but it's, again, we're gonna have to figure out, is it adding more teams? Um, with nothing changing, is it staying the same and reallocating maybe some of those new dollars to the travel? Um, you know, we would all love to to wave a magic wand and have the funds necessary to have a true seated 36 team bracket with four buys. But 
We also know that's probably not going to happen. So, so what is the best solution for division three football? Um, I'm not for sure. I know that, you know, that there's a lot of talk on, you know, again, figuring out how you maybe weight different things differently. And, you know, I, I loved playing a, an intense non-conference schedule last year. I think that that um, benefited us. I think it benefited Wheaton. That's just my assumption. I think uh, it benefited Division Three football as a whole. I, I agree with you, right? So, I, I mean, I, I'd love to see a way to almost incentivize that too. Um, you know, I mean, I've talked with a lot of coaches, you know, and people are scared to have a non-conference loss, but, you know, how does it factor into the the shrinking? You know, there's chance we may only have three AQ or pool season next year. What does that look like? So, you know, do you challenge yourself? Do you not? I mean, there's a lot of questions. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the about, way we evaluate teams for the not for the AQs, um, I think we've talked about this a lot of times, make some issues there. And, you know, you, you have a limited data set with only a 10 game season compared to other sports that maybe have 20 or 25 data points to add to that. Um, I think from a financial standpoint, we still run into the problem with the flights um, to get teams to certain games, but does the buy alleviate that in some cases um, where it may add a flight in the second or third round, but it helps us have games in the first round that, you know, that are exciting and enjoyable to watch. I think the non-conference scheduling, um, I think everybody is concerned. If they are a team that is trying to get into the playoffs as an at-large team and want to have a chance at that, some some teams will say they are concerned. I think the last two playoff pools showed that playing a strong non-conference game and being a, a one or two loss team is better than being a nine and one team that did not play a tough non-conference game. And I hope that, you know, our, our, the future chairs and things of that nature continue to reward that. I think that's definitely something that if you're a team that's a, you know, a chance at an at large year in and year out, you, you have seen those teams rewarded uh, by playing a, a tough schedule. Future chairs, always a question. Uh, Coach Wood, about the scheduling question, I'm going to come to you because you have so many non-conference games to fill. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that. It's, uh, it's uh, pretty difficult each year to uh, to get uh, uh, games. Obviously, we have seven, seven members in our conference, and uh, I know what's happening down the road is going to be more alliances. Uh, right now, we have an alliance with uh, the Centennial Conference, uh, which, which in some sense will boost our uh, strength of schedule with John Hopkins and Muhlenberg on our schedule uh, at the same time. Uh, I think you're going to see that trend uh, uh, pretty much all over the country in terms of uh, alliances, because we don't know for sure what we're going to do with the uh, with the number of teams in different conferences. Everyone's moving around. There's a lot of movement, especially up in Northeast. When you have now, and I heard that the NASCAC is is going to be applying for AQ. Maybe. And no and idea. That, uh, it could happen. Maybe. It it could happen. It could happen. But you know that's that's another scenario. You know, in terms of I think we're all in agreement with trying to do something with adding more teams, whatever way we can do it. Uh, but I'm telling you that the trend is really turning in Division Three football, and I can, I can clearly see it. Uh, I think this approach right here is a great, great start uh, to try to start some lines of communication uh, with our student athlete, uh, student athlete advisory committees, our ADs, as well as our commissioners. Uh, we need to continue to communicate 
uh, this whole process because, again, I'm all about the overall uh, well-being of all the student athletes. Uh, but uh, I can see some kind of movement going on. And then you have the landmark. Uh, landmark now is, you know, they're going to have an AQ pretty soon. So that's a couple more teams that's going to be knocked out, you know. And, Michelle, you mentioned that, you know, you you think you have a hassle now. You wait till those two teams come on in uh, as far as the AQ. So uh, I think we just saw it, it's, a, it's a tough, tough uh, road. We're in the process of, uh, you know, working with uh, Jeremy here. We've been talking about games and trying to add a game uh, in February. Uh, there are some cases people trying to add games in March. Uh, so it, it's it's really um, it's not it's not a good situation. I could tell you. I know we're coming up on the end of our appointed time, but I want to talk with the people who have been in the room where it happens, for lack of a better term, about how this happens legislatively. First off. You know, first off, removing the cap on football so that it's no longer legislatively tied to 32 teams. Then what happens next? And I'm I'm looking primarily at Brad and Michelle. I know Jim has also been an athletic director, so I uh, might uh, hear from him as well. I, I'll start. I'll let Michelle finish. She's had the most recent experience. I, what I would tell you is it's got to start with the with the committee. It's got to come from the membership. I think that's important. I think that's part of what this conversation that the commissioners are having regarding access in general is at least pushing the idea to be discussed. I do know, and Jim can probably share this, perhaps uh, I think the football committee has had open dialogue about it. I think they've talked about what that looks like. And I think that's the first spark that needs to take place. You've got to get the fire within the membership to come forward to the governance structure to say, we think this is important. I mean, there's some things that really stand out. I mean, if, if you go back and look at the legislation, right. I think there's a minimum number of pool C bids that you have to have. So what's football going to do if they get into a situation where they don't have two? If they don't have a minimum of two pool C bids, they're going to have to expand the tournament, which is going to cause a week to, to go forward. So they are at a point, they're at a fork in the road, right, where they're going to really have to have a discussion about what this looks like. And to me, it's the committee coming up with solutions. And, and I think Jim said it, uh, I, I think – uh, Coach Wood talked about it as well. It's those first round matchups that if you add an extra week, in my opinion, it's going to make the experience of the student athlete and the championship perhaps enhanced right. because you're going to have better matchups, could have better matchups in that first round. And there's some flexibility about how many games you could play in that first round. You could play more than four games in the first round, right? Or have those teams engaged in those games. So th that's just, uh, I'm I'm excited about it. I hope that the I hope the division can lean in and, and make some changes because um, I do believe the football student athletes deserve that opportunity. I I would just add, Brad's absolutely right. You know, so much of what we do, we're a membership organization, right? And so it comes from us, and we we're really at a, a critical time where we can be proactive with how we move forward in the next, you know, short term few years here versus trying to figure it out where we're running out of time and, and we just have to throw something together. And so I think the opportunity to have discussions like this, the opportunity, not just with football coaches to have, you know, conversations amongst their peers and other coaches, but really truly administrators having conversations with coaches and, you know, leaning on them to say, you know, are you talking about it in your conference? Is it something that's on the meeting schedule with your commissioner and, and Brad alluded to, that he and his colleagues and other commissioners, right? Because 
that's how we're, we're not, it's not going to be perfect. Right. And, and how we change things probably won't be how it ends. Right. We have always a new version and new iteration as, as the landscape changes. But I think, you know, in, in doing what we do to try to serve our student athletes, I think that we owe it to those student athletes and to those institutions that, that support and sponsor football. Um, but, but we really have an opportunity now to be thoughtful about how we progress forward and, and do, doing so in a, in a diligent way. Can I ask to, um, Brad and Michelle a quick question? I, I'm just... I'm just curious, like when when the conversations were had nationally of lowering the um, amount of schools for an AQ, I, you know, I understand that to be because of other sports, right? Um, did we think about the ripple effect that that would have on a, on a tournament like football? Like, was that even brought up in the discussion um, or was that driven by a lot of institutions that maybe don't have, again, I just from an education standpoint, like I'm curious like, did we even have this possible as a membership hierarchy, right? Did we see this as an issue when lowering it? Or was it something that we just, in an effort to, to give more access to others, all of a sudden we, we missed the impact that this has had by bringing other conferences online for AQs and changing the, the pool seat? I know that we did, right? And uh, Dave McHugh talked about it as well. Yeah. But go ahead, Michelle, sorry. Jeremy, I think your question's a really important and a valid one, right? Mm -hmm. I think, again, I'll, I'll go back to my statement earlier about depending on the sport you coach, depending on your affinity to the sport you played or the sports that you sponsor on your on your campus and your institution, right? You tend to pay more attention to those. Um, you know, your opinions also vary if you're in a conference that's a small conference or, you know, some of the larger monster conferences that truly could be split into two and have two AQs that, you know, those um those instances you know when what you're asking about you know how might this affect if 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 this decision is passed or this legislation moves forward you know i would say that it wasn't specifically sport by sport how it affects but more in a global conversation that um until somebody would say hey how does this affect this sport or or what about football you know i think that it takes the due diligence of the people that serve on those committees to really bring those up but it's also our responsibility as as committee members to make sure that we're having those conversations on our campuses in our conferences and ensuring that there's diversity of thought because obviously if you surround yourself with people that think just like you we're not going to be able to affect change in the best way possible yeah, I mean, we've had those discussions just, you know, hypothesizing and, and house taking a little bit from you and Sherm, you know, a couple of these really big conferences, what's stopping them from guaranteeing two teams by dividing up and then having an interconference alliance to fill their non-conference. So now all of a sudden it's the same teams playing the same way, but it's two new conferences taking AQs. Um, so again, you know, we, we've obviously used a lot as a staff about all the different possibilities that, that this thing could go. I say that happened before this legislative change went into effect. Anyway, the new England football conference split into two. And now the Commonwealth coast has an automatic bid and the MASCAC has an automatic bid. And that that was the, there's, I can't say anything was ever the beginning of any dominoes falling because dominoes are always falling in this regard. But, uh, and now the landmark baby is the poster child for the new set of dominoes. I'm going to go around and look for final thoughts from people. Coach Wood, I have been calling on you last a lot, and I apologize, so I want to start with you here. Well, trust me, that doesn't matter to me. I, I like to hear those opinions before I speak anyway, so I know what I'm talking about. Uh, though I, I'm just honestly 
Pat, I really appreciate you putting this on. Uh, this is, I'm telling you, I just learned some things uh, from Brad and Michelle and, and, and everyone involved. And, uh, and that's, that's all we can ask right now. I just trust that uh, we can continue to communicate this whole process because there is a trend. I'm telling you, uh, there are some things that's happening. And I just I just believe when when other conferences are being very creative, it just seems to be more the northeast area. Uh, it doesn't seem like everyone has a say. Uh, that would be my my main concern. Uh, just making sure that we all have a say in this whole thing because it affects one decision affects everyone. And uh, I, I just I just hope that we can uh, come to some kind of agreement where we can increase uh, the numbers uh, for the playoffs for the sake of all student athletes. Thanks, Sherm. Uh, Jim Catanzaro. Jim, this is probably the least that you've spoken on any of the times that you've guested on this podcast. So uh, get your final thoughts here. Uh, Pat, I'm staying in my lane. That's where I belong. So, um, you know, I'm happy to, to have had these conversations. I think one of the key ingredients and takeaways that I hope anybody listens to this, in order to change this, it, it will take a submission for bylaw amendments, unless it's part of the overarching constitutional change. Um, and right now, that would take two conferences or 20 individual institutions. Um, as much as we want it to come driven from the um, committees, it will still require that kind of support. I know that the there are at least two conferences that are in current discussions about trying to put together a proposal um, this year. And uh, I'm hopeful that it does because it does take quite some time. It's not a matter of proposing it this week and having it done next week. There is a lot that has to be to be done. And so hopefully those conferences that are talking about it continue to do it. Um, and then hopefully we have you know real conversations about how do we make uh, you know football more like the other sports in some of the areas. And even if it has to have some wrinkles and uh, some tweaks, at least maybe we can get to the the equity piece that is you know been a little bit dis disenfranchising for some people of late and we can work our way there i fully expect to see the ohio athletic conference and the old dominion athletic conference co-sponsoring this legislation next january jeremy final thoughts from you i just think that you know per your survey um that you know the feedback we've received and the same thing um, at, at the afca convention this year i think the overwhelming um, feeling is that we need to add add teams and add a week. Um, I think that it'd be really cool. My hope is that as we explore those and we try to um, get more teams in, that we find a way that can showcase um, Division Three, um, especially just the the level of football that we have nationally in a different way. Um, you know, I think that adding it at the end would be a really cool opportunity for us to maybe to get some time. Um, but again, I think that. People know that we need need more teams. Um, you know, we're not talking about raising standards here. We're talking about getting more people in in the tournament. So, how that works, I'm not sure. Um, but I'd love to see it at the end and and take it into the winter break and, and really showcase showcase us nationally a little bit more if we can. Michelle, um, I think I'll just echo the fact of having deliberate conversations with peers and colleagues, you know, across the country in different regions to ensure that. Um, now is, you know, it's the beginning of February that they're, you know, the legislative cycle takes some time, but in order for us to make change, you know, it takes, takes about a year, but where we are right now that, you know, we just are on the heels of the convention that, you know, if, if there, this was to be something that we could make impactful change, it's not going to affect the 23 season, but it's certainly something that if, if 
solvable. And, and if there's enough consensus, then this could, could see an impact for the 24 season, which isn't that far away. And so I think that, you know, we have a process in place for a reason. I think that, you know, the modeling is really important to um, ensure that we're throwing some things against the wall to see what might stick or how might we solve this, even though it might not be perfect. Um, to help people understand and, and those people that are in those decision-making capacities to allow them the opportunity to digest and really understand from a lot of different perspectives and angles, how might we go about um, solving this? And Brad? I, I guess what I would say, Pat, is I would echo everything, what everybody said. You know, it's going to be a group project. It's a divisional project. It's, um, it's a football project. You know, this is this is about the membership. And of course, the membership can vote on whatever piece of legislation they want to, whether they have a sport or don't. But this is a football question. You know, are you comfortable having more teams in the bracket? Yes. Are you comfortable knowing that if you were in the last two, you're going to be playing an extended break game further into the winter towards January timeframe? And are you comfortable understanding what that means? And if the answer is yes, uh, to me, the modeling, the structure exists to work through the steps that will lead us to a point where we can have that on the floor. You know, I wouldn't put this out of the realm that the governance structure may come forward with this. It may not have to come from a conference or two conferences or 20 leagues. I mean, 20 schools. It may be able to come from the membership by coming through the governance structure saying this is something we're in support of, starting with the football committee. So, I mean, there's no pressure on the football committee other than that's what they're going to that's who they're going to turn to to ask them to help with modeling, much like Jim's been involved in Sports Science Institute conversations and others related to preseason practice. Same thing. They go to them as the subject experts. And um, I know those wheels are turning. So that, in my mind, is favorable that at least this is on the table. I don't know what the end result's going to be, but it's a heck of a lot better than not having the conversation at all. So. Uh, I appreciate the fact that you're encouraging this, uh, certainly from your seat and what you guys have done for Division Three football over the years, which uh, I've had a chance to see it mature for a long time. And um, there's a lot of interest and a lot of it in, in part because of what you guys have, uh, the light that you've shown on it. So thank you. I appreciate that, Brad. I want to thank everybody for taking an hour on a Monday afternoon in the middle of February to talk about Division Three football. That's greatly appreciated. I also want to thank you for putting up with a random number of bursts of emails from me at strange hours and uh, days of the week. So thank you so much for uh, taking part in this. Greg, I said it all the way back at the beginning of the roundtable, but you know, Brad Bankston talked on Hoopsville, and we had a bunch of it on our podcast as well a little over a year ago. And Brad said at the time, lifting that cap of 32 teams and five weeks on the football playoffs was doable. And that was the first time I had really heard that because if we had not, if we had not heard that and be in this position right now where we're looking at four at-large bids this season and maybe fewer going on, going down the line, that would be... It would be a pretty dismal time to be a Division Three football fan or, you know, frankly, a coach of anybody who might need an at-large spot. Yeah, I think as we've had conversations with uh, the D3 football fan community over the years about the playoff field and people being disappointed about the, the number of at-large bids, how few they are, and this, you know, the easy solution is add more teams to the field and – response has been that's not really a 
viable solution because by the rules of the organization, the NCAA Division Three, you can't. It's capped. And right. so when we heard Brad and now Michelle in this uh, in this roundtable say that this is these are things that could be addressed legislatively, it's it's sort of like kicks open the door for yeah maybe we can have six weeks and 36 teams or however you want to structure that tournament now they did they were clear that there's nothing imminent happening like there's some side discussions happening but not formal proposals not anything that is going to get voted on it seems like anytime soon but the possibility is there and that is that's that's new information Michelle was very clear to talk about the importance of modeling, right? And what that means is basically you have to take the past several playoffs in Division Three, and then, you know, rerun the numbers, right? Put four more teams into the field. So we add Johns Hopkins, we add Stevenson, we add Albion, and I don't know if we add Bridgewater or John Carroll as our four additional at-larges. Coach Wood talked just a little bit about, you know, his team having to go play Mount Union. You're basically adding teams that are going to be five seeds, six seeds, that sort of thing. And now Salisbury and Gallaudet, I guess, would play each other potentially in the first round with the winner then going to Mount Union. I guess that's better. I suppose that's better. Still, someone is going to have to go play Mount Union. Someone's going to be, you know, Jim Catanzaro's team going to play Whitewater or North Central, which they've done recently. I don't know if that problem gets solved by this. I think... Jim Catanzaro had a good point about teams um, like Lake Forest that sort of get pigeonholed into playing the number one seed over and over again. And if there is in the room, if there is inertia that gets built based on previous year's performance, if you're Lake Forest and you're always having to play St. John's or North Central, you don't have like a great opportunity to win a playoff game and you can never get out of that rut. I think having buys for those top seeded teams maybe creates a layer of, of matchups in the first round for Lake forest or, you know, some of the other teams that traditionally get knocked out um, in the first round because they draw such tough matchups all of the time. Maybe they get an opportunity to win a game, set a new, set a new program mark and build some inertia for next year's tournament in that way. We haven't done the modeling of how, a, how a bracket would look with 36 teams in the top four with bye weeks. We haven't seen how exactly what, how the, how the matchups would be different yeah. in those ways. But again, that's something Michelle said. You have to go back and redo a two or three or four uh, previous year's tournaments to see what, what the effect of some of these things would be. I would say this. I know that like the people on the committee currently are having these discussions also. As Michelle noted, you know, these things are not being talked about officially. They're not being talked about in terms of legislation yet, but hopefully some of that work around modeling is going on. And if not, this is a good notice to JJ Nekoloff and the rest of the folks on that committee that uh, this might be helpful information to have. We talk about, you know, how the actual how of we expand this. So if we do expand this, we add an extra week. We have an entire week basically at the beginning of the playoffs where maybe only eight teams are playing, right? And then down at the end, at the end of the bracket, there are two teams who have to, you know, continue to practice for a week. Uh, now we're talking about almost every case 
Schools are beyond their final exams, so you have to house students and student athletes for an extra week. You have to travel four extra teams back at the beginning of this bracket who wouldn't have been in the field before. Um, but we have heard time and time again, I think we heard it on the round table as well, like you know, the thought of bringing everybody in a week earlier and playing games in week zero, which happens like in Division Two, for example, happens at the FBS level and at the FCS level. Those are costs that every school would have to handle. Or at the end, it would only be costs for two schools to maintain their campus facilities in part for another week and for four more schools to participate in the first round of the playoffs. The overall cost analysis is that adding a week onto the playoffs is probably less expensive than adding a week into the regular season for everybody. Adding an extra week into the regular season is a cost of zero for the NCAA, whereas adding a week of, of playoff games is not. And right. so it becomes like the overall money is definitely cheaper to do it at the end than in the beginning, but um, it be, it's a matter of who's footing the bill there. And they did say, you know, Michelle did say that there is some more money coming that way to division three. And so maybe, maybe more games in the tournament is something that is uh, within the budget now going forward. Yeah. There was a new rights agreement that was put into place that takes effect uh, 2024, 2025, something like that. There will be a little more money coming into the 3.18% of the uh, budget that uh, Division Three gets to draw from, that's sure. So hopefully they spend a little bit of that on expanding the playoffs. I know that also like expanding the number of student athletes on rosters in a bunch of sports, uh, not just football. So expanding the Division Three playoff experience to individual people. That's been on the docket a lot as well. Um, they'll probably spend some money that way. And Division Three loves to spend money on programs. And I I don't have a problem with Division Three spending money on programs because there are a lot of very worthy programs that the NCAA puts together that helps conferences, especially helps schools in some cases. Those are important and I get that, but I do want to see some of it spent on fixing this Division Three football bracket. I want to put you on the spot really quick, Pat. I don't know that we were doing that this week, but we're doing it now. Oh, no. If you had the money to either pay for an extra week of playoff games and four more teams or travel the Texas teams, which would you choose? I think it has to be adding the four more teams because hopefully there might be some incremental way that that helps solve the other problem like we're not going to get to travel too many teams out of texas but could we somehow in this first round by scenario help some of these island teams maybe that's a possibility i think i'd have to hang my hat on that that's a uh ugh, that's a choice that uh, that's a choice that no parent wants to make right which 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 of your children do you choose um these are two very important things and i can only take the one that is expand the playoffs i thought about that all like for a good chunk of my evening last night uh, about if the, if he had to make that choice i think i think ultimately we hope that a solution would address both of those things but i landed where you did where i think you have to get more teams in first of all and then maybe there's a secondary effect that helps alleviate some of the the matchup issues that we have in texas and the west coast in the first round one more flight 
one more flight is really all I'm asking for. You know, the problem is, of course, that even with one more fight, you still clump all of these teams into the same quadrant of the bracket, and that drives me absolutely batty. I don't know that there's a way to get around that. One of the ways, unfortunately, we seem to be getting around it is that schools leaving Division Three, schools dropping football, schools changing conferences, and maybe that leads us right into... Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. The mailbag, and uh, in the mailbag, we didn't even have to put out the bat signal on uh, Twitter this time around. We got completely unsolicited from Jake McGinnis at Jake McGinnis1 asking, any idea what is going to happen with our football conference? This is the American Southwest Conference that uh, we're talking about. Down to four teams in 2024. Just a curious, anxious alum. If I count things back up again for a second, it would be Mary Harden-Baylor, East Texas Baptist, Hardin-Simmons, Howard Payne would be the football programs remaining in the ASC. The stars at night are big and bright. Big in the heart of Texas. <laughs> because the associate members are going to go back and play football in the SCAC. That is like Texas Lutheran and Southwestern. Uh, Southwestern takes a little detour through the SAA for a hot minute and a half before that happens, but uh, that will be happening. And then McMurray joined the SCAC for all sports, and Sol Ross State is making all its noises about applying to Division Two, and it looks like that's going to happen. So that would be just four schools. And, you know, when it was six schools, when it was six schools you need to get to seven, or it was five schools you need to get to six, feel like there could be some kind of incremental things like could you convince Texas Dallas to start football or Letourneau there's a bunch of smaller schools in that conference that don't sponsor football that might want a hundred male student athletes to come to their college but to think about finding two I don't know where I don't know where you get from four to six this is this is how we're going to get one of those at-large bids back yeah, I wrote down a number of ways that you get the ASC to six or the possibilities that you would have to explore. The first is conference members in the ASC that don't play football already, and you mentioned them, Concordia, Letourneau, Ozarks, UT Dallas. Are any two of these schools that want Division three football? This is not something I know. Um, you tend to have... A, a better feel for these kinds of things than I do. But is, I mean, is, is it reasonable to think that one or two of those would consider adding football? I mean, I haven't heard any of these schools specifically talked about Shriner, which is a very similar school to a lot of these schools. They're in the SCAC. They are adding football as well to help get that SCAC. SCAC is going to be eight schools. It looks like in division three football, once everybody is, you know, called back home. From their, uh, from their mission trips to other conferences, shall we say. So I would think that, you know, it would make sense at some of these schools. I think, too, you know, frankly, Greg, um, you know, we saw a non-football thing happen over the course of the past month or so in Division Three, where the United East Conference and the Colonial States Athletic Conference just decided they were basically going to join forces and become one 
super conference. And I put super conference in the air quotes because there's a bunch of schools now, but they're hedging their bets against schools closing because we are, and I know you know this as a uh, person involved in enrollment and registration in higher education that, uh, you know, coming up not very long from now, the number of, you know, college age students is going to plummet pretty precipitously. Yes. Thankfully that, that part of the equation is a little outside of my lane and I'm thankful for that. I'm also very thankful to work, you know, at a school where, you know, that's, it's a concern, but not so much so that uh, you were worried about keeping the doors open, but that is certainly something that we have to watch out for. I know um, we're watching a lot of schools in the Northeast where, you know, the supply of colleges maybe outstrips the demand for yeah. for space. And so you're watching schools like that. A couple of years ago, we saw Wesley acquired by another university. Yeah. And I think those are some things that we're going to see happen. I don't know how much of that is happening in Texas, but um, certainly something to keep an eye on. My thought that I'm going to continue to go back to is combining conferences works here as well. So I have been on the record as an advocate for a mega merger of ASC, SCIAC, and Northwest Conference football. Put them all in the same conference, and the NCAA cannot force you to play each other in the first round. I know that that's great. It's it's a good talking point. I don't know about Linfield and Mary Hardenvale are in the same conference, obviously. Um, That doesn't look good in terms of how you get one of them an at-large bid. You have to run the numbers on that as well. But seriously, closer to home around here, right? Are we down to six Skyac schools for football now going forward right now? Currently, six Skyac schools going forward. Increasingly difficult to schedule games for those teams as well. I know there was you know a pretty heavy travel restriction or really being careful with travel the last couple of years. Travel seems to be more opened up now. I think some of the Skyax schools are willing to go travel. Pomona Pitzer is going to go to Carleton this year, I believe. That's a really fun game, I think. Yep. But down to six schools, and you look around at some other schools in the Skyac, and you wonder about their futures after seeing Whittier just shut it down like the day after their season finished this year. Yeah. Um, If Skyac winds up with just five schools some if somebody else decides that football is no longer serving their institution's purposes where do they go for aq and a merger between skyac and asc i don't think that anybody is really rushing out to share their aq with umhb and harden simmons but skyac schools maybe football with those four asc schools is better than no football at all which I think Division Three football would get really difficult for those schools out here on the island if they weren't able to have eight or nine or ten teams to draw from regularly to schedule. And this was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 327, released on February 20th, 2023. Thanks for listening, and to keep an eye out for continuing coverage throughout this offseason, we'll get you a look at, you know, who you might see, if anybody, out of the current Division Three senior class looking at pro prospects, pro possibilities. 
that'll be something we'll talk about. We will have schedules on the website, coaching changes happening all the time. So keep an eye on those things. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But if you can't afford to support us financially, you know, you can help us out in the ways that people help out podcasts. You've probably heard them if you've ever listened to any other podcasts. You could rate or review us, for example, in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. Uh, we love seeing positive reviews. That's super helpful. I uh, also tell a friend, tell a classmate, post something in your alumni group or, you know, the parents group of your football team on Facebook. Tell them about the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. You can reach us also to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can hear that right now if I stop talking for half a second. And you can find them on djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to everybody who participated in our panel. That is Michelle Morgan, Athletic Director at John Carroll University. Brad Bankston, the Commissioner of the Old Dominion Athletic Conference. Jim Catanzaro, the Head Football Coach at Lake Forest. (laughs) Coach Cat. Jim Catanzaro. Jim, glad to have you with us. My pleasure. Jeremy Urban, Head Football Coach at Trinity University in Texas and Sherm Wood, the head football coach at Salisbury University. We appreciate their time. And also, of course, thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host. Thanks to Keith McMillan, the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com. Thanks to Tracy for uh, allowing us to invade the space here for the weekend as well. Yes, she is. Uh, was excited to hear that you were stopping by and slightly upset that she wasn't going to be here, but not so upset that she was going to cancel her spa weekend. Spa weekends are super important. Tamara is at a spa event right now as well, so that is how I've uh, managed to extricate myself from couples vacation. All of this, and didn't even get to mention that uh, about three weeks ago, my voice finally recovered, and I was actually able to start talking again. That was great. Yes, we've had a, had some time off. You, yeah. The the regular football season was uh, rough for uh, Pat Coleman and the voice box. So, like on my way out of here, how far am I from Whittier? From uh, from Whittier, you're going to be down i think the 57 probably 20 or 30 minutes i've just been thinking about the poor shoes you remember all the big deal we made about occidental should have to give back the shoes to whittier when occidental canceled the football season and then you know whittier got to retire the shoes after occidental quit football whittier then quit football too I feel like Division Three, writ large, should just reclaim the shoes, and I'm willing to go do it right now. You hear that? Fighting potent. Pat Coleman is coming for the shoes. And I'm coming in iambic pentameter. I'm coming to your campus for the shoes because you made decisions not to lose. Once was a man from Minnesota.
Thank you so much, everybody.